Not a History and Geography podcast where you are invited to an audio tour of each of the world's 197 sovereign states. My name is Kiki. And my name is Brad. And that lovely cadence (laughs) comes from your hosts. (laughs) This week, our discussion is on the nation of... Angola. some overall thoughts and our initial familiarity ratings before our research. Brad, you kick us off. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay, Um, we'll stop this very unnatural way of talking (laughs) now. So for my FR rating, I'm going to... Your your what? My FR rating. What does that stand for? Familiarity rating. Good job. Um, I'm going to give myself a zero. I don't know anything about Angola, Kiki. I don't know shit. Well, um, I feel like we're in the same boat, but I do have the paddle because I knew where it was, I knew what the capital was, and I knew what the flag looked like. So, point well, five. Well, you took the paddle. That's why I'm up Shit's Creek. I, know, I ain't <laughs> got it. Yeah. Point five. Um, yeah, so I didn't know anything about Angola. Um, you know, it just never come up. Yeah, for me either. I which, think... Which sounds bad, but it's like, there's 197 sovereign states. There's some more we're not going to cut covering this podcast Mm -hmm. i can't know a little bit about everything so yeah and now we will teach you about it because i did the research actually you know what i think my mom's husband who's from south africa mentioned angola once um but i I forget what it was about but knowing him it was probably something pretty racist so yeah let's uh let's get, get into our snapshot of what angola is all right all about angola so Angola is a republic, so it's the Republic of Angola. The motto of Angola is Virtus Unita Fortior. That sounds like Latin to me. That is indeed Latin, and it's Latin for virtue is stronger when united. Uh, and my experience has been different. How so? Because when I'm united, oh, yeah. my virtue is yeah. not as... <laughs> it's a joke. <laughs> um, their anthem, which you just heard... the. A little bit of is called uh, it's called onwards Angola onwards Kiki onwards. Um, so Angola is a country in southern Africa. It is the seventh largest country in Africa, and the bordering nations are Namibia to the south, the DRC or Democratic Republic of the Congo to the north, Zambia to the east, and the Atlantic Ocean to the west. Um, a fun little fact that we'll get into later is they have an exclave province, which is like a part of the country that's not contiguous with the other part of the country. Like, so like a land island. That's that, like yeah, part, yeah. Um, and that's called Cabinda, and that orders the Republic of Congo and the DRC to the up, up in the north. We'll talk more about that later. Really interesting. The capital of Angola is Luanda. The official languages are Portuguese because of colonialism. Um, total colonist move. Total colonist move. And the co-official languages are Kongo, Kimbundu, and Umbundu. Um, uh, so there's lots of, there's very, very many ethnic groups in Angola. It's a very um, multi-ethnic country. And ethnically those, diverse. Ethnically diverse. Not ethically diverse. Ethnically diverse. I'm sure they have many kinds of ethics. There. That's probably true. I'm a diverse kind of nation. Yeah. Uh, so the ethnic groups involved are 36% of the population is 
Uvimbundu, 25% is Ambundu, 13% is Bakongo, 22% are a mixture of other African um, ethnicities, 2% is Mestizo, Mestizo? I think it's um, the Portuguese pronunciation of Mestizo, Okay. like in Spanish it's like Mestizo. It's got a a seated little tail on it. Yeah. Um, 1% Chinese, 1% European. I had a chip in my mouth when I said that. Yeah, this is a mixture of both African languages, which I have no uh, experience with, and then Portuguese, which I have no ear for. Yeah, Sam, so. we will not have a linguist's corner, we won't. a linguist armchair Okay. on this one. Uh, wish we could have. Did she punt on the on Angola? She's just a real busy girl today. Fair it enough. is her first week of school teaching and in her third year of phd so. She's got stuff going on besides our podcast selfish uh, yeah. but okay um, i'm gonna write her a very stern letter about it i'm also gonna complain to mom <laughs> okay the nuclear option um <laughs> the demonym of people from angola are their their angolans um the government is a unitary dominant party presidential constitutional republic with president here we go um i think it's joao joao manuel goncalves lorenco if I was going to say it, because I know nothing. <laughs> if I was going to try okay, better. Here's the thing. It's like, I, I don't know much Portuguese, but I know it kind of sounds like French and Spanish had a baby. Okay. So I'd say like, President, maybe João, João, Manuel, Gonçalves, Loranjo. Gonçalves sounds much better than gone cast. <laughs> um, and the vice president is Bonito de Sosa. Good one. Oh, I did it. Um, the population is 25,789,024 people. That's a lot of people. That is many people. Um, that is a 2014 census um, reporting. Uh, the area of Angola is uh, around 1,246,700 square kilometers. The 22nd largest country in the world. Or, for something y'all are more familiar with, that's about 119 Lebanons. <laughs> <laughs> The most accurate statistical measure in geographies. Yeah, um, yeah I'm gonna I'm gonna like start saying everything in Lebanon's like even like people, like I'm at, I'm point zero 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 one Lebanon. You're you're much less of a Lebanon than that. That's true. You are. A, I am. You are a micron of a of a Lebanon. We'll do the math later. We will. We won't. The Here's cur- the thing. I've got no self awareness. <laughs> I'm almost half a Lebanon. <laughs> That's about right. Okay. Um, the currency of Angola is the Kwanzaa, spelled like the holiday. I, yeah. I don't know the correlation there. Um, I don't with the holiday, but I know that it comes up because uh, it's a river. It's a river. Yeah. I didn't know that. You learn something new every day on the Learning well, Podcast. Hey. Um, a little bit more about Angola, just to set the scene before we get into history. It's a member of the United Nations, member of OPEC. They have a lot of resources. What's OPEC? Oil produced. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Never yeah. mind. Organization I know that. Organization of Petroleum that Exporting Countries, yeah. Um, Good um, acronym. Uh, African Union member, Community of Portuguese Language Countries member. They're part of the Southern African Development Community. That's some of the things they belong to. They're a highly multi-ethnic country. Um, there are 25 million people spanning different tribal groups, different customs, different traditions. Um... Of course, they have uh, lots of influence from Portuguese rule and, like, the Catholic Church because of colonialism, mm-hmm. but Kiki will handle that. Yeah, sure will. Um, and then, more about them in general, they have vast mineral and petroleum resources. They have, like, lots of diamonds and copper, I think, oil. Um, their economy is actually among the fastest growing in the world, 
Um, but they have a low standard of living because all that, a lot of that wealth is concentrated in a small sector of the population, um, as happens in a lot of countries in the world, increasingly even in the United States. Um, they have econ uneven economic growth that's related. Um, they have a low life expectancy and infant mortality yep, is high. Yeah, about the lowest in the world, definitely the lowest in Africa. Yeah, um, so they're facing many challenges. They have resources, um, so they're, they're already complex at the snapshot, at the face. But we're going to get more into the complexity because Kiki's going to take it away with history. Yep. Once I stop eating uh, these chips, you know what? I'll just put it down. No, finish that chip. All right, I'll think of a thought to uh, to say. Um, uh, let's see. Angola. I'm very excited to learn about the history. Um, I don't know if it's picking up the crunching zone. I hope not. I, I don't think we've done a Portuguese colonized country before. I don't think we have. That may be wrong. Actually, Africa is the last. I think in, in all of the countries, it's the last Portuguese colony to have existed. Okay. I know for sure in Africa. Okay. Um, today, we're going to learn a, bit, a little bit about the Berlin Conference. We'll learn about more Portuguese colonized countries in Africa. Okay. Because um, we're going to do that as a little bit of an aside when we learn about the Berlin Conference. Nice. All right. Well, Kiki. All right. I guess um, here we go. This is the history. I have my bowl of chips. I'm ready to learn. All right. So the area of current-day Angola uh, was originally inhabited by Paleolithic and Neolithic people. Um, so also, like, we know... I guess, like, I, we can say we know for sure, but we're pretty certain that uh, human humankind started in Africa, too. So we have some evidence of pretty early I mean, the human old, races. the oldest fossil records are there. Yeah. You can trace migrations of people. So, I mean, I, I'm reluctant to say anything is for certain, but pretty sure. Uh, so uh there's there's remnants of these people in these cultures found in the capital luanda present capital i should say um in the surrounding areas of the congo and in the namibe desert so the first people were the san people this happened in the uh until the sixth century uh when the bantu which are still a active Wait, culture bc or ad ad okay right? yeah. my apologies so like the thing when we get into talking about africa and, and sub-saharan africa um, is that we're, we're going to see this in a lot, is that a lot of it is tribal history uh, and is not recorded. Mm -hmm. There's no written languages until colonists arrive. This was the same thing that happened in Fiji, too, mm -hmm. where, like, we know that a lot of stuff happened. We know that each of these tribes has a rich individual culture and a long oral tradition. It's just hard for historians to find out how much of that goes into myth and lore and how much is is real and art comes from the artifacts so what we have yep. is fossils and remains that say these people were here and they sure mattered yep so the first people that we know of are the san people they were there until the sixth century AD. and the bantu people um who were a little bit more advanced in terms of metalworking technology they also had pots um and they had agriculture they started migrating from the north so they are coming down from yeah, the north. Uh, and then when they got into the Angola to meet the San people, they just kind of took over because more advanced is what happens. Um, the next uh, thing that happens is that the Bantu uh, use their technologies and they build their culture from the ground up um, using Angolan land, and they stay there for a long time, and they divide into sub-kingdoms, mm -hmm. and that's actually where we get the name 
Angola, it comes from the word for king, Angola. That's cool. It's N-G-O-L-A. So, a nice uh, westernization of that is Angola. That's how we got that. Uh, so, the land became very wealthy, uh, was enveloped in the kingdom of the Congo, which we see with the development, or the countries around it, using the Congo and the DRC. So Kind of like the Sudanese republics were involved with Cote d'Ivoire. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And the river Kwanzaa goes through it. So, when we were talking about, uh, well, Brad says, oh, it's the Kwanzaa, and I said, I don't know, it's because the river. Yeah. River Kwanzaa. Uh, and then... Divided into six provinces, uh, with Ndongo to the south. Ndongo becomes um, a very active ancient city there. Uh, and then, so, all this division was happening between these kingdoms, and then we get colonizers. Specifically, led by a Portuguese guy, Diogo Cao. He gets to the Congo first. I know, he seems kind of like a cow to me. Uh, Diego arrives in the Congo. He goes northwestern into Angola. Uh, and then, you know, colonization happens. Uh, so what we have of, of this recorded history, too, what the, what the Portuguese brought, Catholicism. Uh, and I, I wanted to do a little bit of an aside about colonization. Uh, and for my research... The goals of the, 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 sorry, I have to say that because it sounds like I'm putting my glasses up. Yeah. Uh, but the goals of the Portuguese colonizers uh, were to spread Catholicism as much as possible, as far as possible, um, to gain as much land area, um, to mine for resources. Um, we see this too in, in every, in every country that's been colonized, getting those, like, especially in Europe, those wood and stone and metals that you can't find in Europe. So it's part of, of building colonizer wealth. And uh, unfortunately, black stain on world history, not calling out the Portuguese here, calling out every colonizer. Uh, Angola got very involved in the Atlantic slave trade. Uh, so a lot of Angolan people were abducted, uh, sold or kidnapped and sold into slavery that would go to the Americas which was a big uh, supplement or, or boon, I don't want to say because that sounds positive, to Portuguese wealth, uh, but was built on the backs of enslaved people. So that's kind of what the Portuguese were doing there. Stripping land, uh, exploiting people, selling them into slavery and a life of hardship. Uh, the Pope's like, hey, this is doing okay. You guys are doing great, Portugal. I love you better than my other favorite country, Spain. And my other other favorite country, France. Pope didn't actually say that. I'm just pretty sure he was thinking I, it. Yeah, I knew it wasn't a verbatim quote. Um, yeah, Don't so, worry. Uh, now we're going into Spanish control of the Portuguese monarchy. So how does Angola react to when the Spanish took over the Portuguese throne? Doesn't change so much for Angola, but they still see some, like, changes. Um... And they want to use their Angolan support. The Portuguese want to use their Angolan support to get another Portuguese king back on the throne. They're also Portuguese. I mean, we, we haven't gotten to Brazil yet, but that's the other huge bolster of wealth for Portugal is all the riches of Brazil. I'm sure, so, I'm, well, I'm sure the exploitation of this on one side of the Atlantic fed into the other side of the Atlantic. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine just, like, having that, like, trade between the two going across? <sighs> Good point. Uh, so... 
uh, Portugal, get, Portugal gets back into control. Uh, and then, I guess, during this time also, since they had, like, weakened control in Angola, Angolan people started to kind of rise up a little bit, um, got a little bit more control of the country, but then when the new king of Portugal came down pretty hard back on the people, and then the kingdom of Ndongo, um, which was the rising kingdom, and this uh, is all 17th again. century? Yeah, this is all this is all in the 17th century. So they, they resubmitted in 1671 okay. to keep you guys updated on this timeline. Uh, so we see, like, also a little bit of mirroring with Angola in Brazil at this time. You want to imagine that? And you kind of think this, this may be a little political, but, like, about uh, continental divide and, like, Pangea, is that these were countries that kind of fit into each other at one point. Now there's a human connection, albeit very negative one, that connects Brazil and Angola in trade. And that becomes a, a big um, source of, of Portuguese power, but the connection between the two, if you're all imagining it at home. Anyway, slave trade uh, was abolished in 1836 by the Portuguese government, mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't super take effect until 1844. Um, also, like, I mean, news travels slow. I mean, it is abolished, and then it kept going until 1844. Uh, and then Angola's ports were reopened to foreign shipping. Um, and this happened with, like, slave smuggling was still happening. So it wasn't abolished in America, and I don't think it was abolished anywhere else where slaves were. Just the act of trading was. So they were still trying to get yep. enslaved people out of the country and into where they would make money in the Americas. Um, so, and in Brazil. So that sucked. Uh, at to this put it yeah, at this time, um, Luanda has become one of the largest Portuguese cities uh, and trading ports, along with Benguela, which comes up only in one small anecdote called the Miss Universe 2011 is from Benguela. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, and so the main exports now are palm and peanut oil, wax, copal, timber, ivory, cotton, coffee, and cocoa, uh, and all these things too. Uh, are coming at a cost free to the Portuguese because I mean, they're not paying labor costs. So I guess like it just, it just, I will always be mad about it because it's so shitty. And that's the and, weakest word I have to describe slavery. But and, I just, it's hard yeah. to believe how fucked up it is. And you hear about like the horror stories of like, like, um, like Congolese rule with like the rubber plantations and stuff. And I mean, there's no stretch of the imagination that the Portuguese weren't treating their the plantations and the progenitors of their wealth any better in Angola, probably. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the same kinds of atrocities. And those reinforce bad things that happen today. So, I mean, it's not like it, this slave trade ended or it came to a halt and then, like, any kind of absolution happened. Um, so the Berlin Conference. This is another aside. Oh, yeah. Um, that happens in 1884 to 1885. It was a several months process. Um, and... It comes into the concept of new imperialism. The rest of the world, the parts of the world that, you know, weren't having their people enslaved and sent away or brutalized and forced into submission. They were developing their, their quote-unquote empires, and they say, well, we need to redivide Africa. Uh, so they have the Berlin Conference, which There's was... lots of input from actual Africans. Yeah, right? they definitely... Uh, they sent a few Snapchats to African tribal leaders, and they're like, hey, is it cool if 
<laughs> if we divide your country and then they just put their phones down like he says this, he's probably gonna say it's cool we're just gonna go for it meaning no no conversations happen what a hip corollary for the kids yep. to listen to and understand what's going on here <laughs> um of our 10 listeners um i feel like at least half of them will understand that <laughs> just kidding all of our listeners are very smart <laughs> they really are um, we know. <laughs> so the berlin conference also known as the Com- congo conference or the west africa conference uh regulated european colonization of africa uh, and also, it coincided with Germany kind of coming back into the global scene as, as Germany itself, not the Holy Roman Empire. Um, but, like, Germany's like, we are a country now. We would like some Africa, please. Wow. <laughs> no laughs? Okay. I can't believe you were, you were actually there and you remember what they said. Um, and uh, Otto von, von Bismarck, first chancellor of Germany, he's the one who organizes it. Uh, and so this is also called the Scramble for Africa. That's how I learned it in school. Uh, and so, yeah, any any kind of form of African autonomy or self-rule just goes to the birds because of white savior complex uh, and other things like white greed and, uh, yeah, total colonizer move, a TCM at its, at its worst. Anyway, so during this race for the colonies, it takes several months. Everyone's fighting over it. Um, and the main countries like Austria, Hungary, Belgium, Denmark, France, Germany, Italy, Netherlands, the Ottoman Empire, Portugal, Russia, Spain, Sweden, Norway, together, the UK, and the United States was like invited to watch. Did and, we go? Yeah, we we went, and they were allowed to say like, yeah, I dis- we disagree with this, or like you shouldn't have this. But did we? They did. I think I think they nixed some things. And the thing is, the United States did have a um, African colony in Liberia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they had a very small, uh, quote-unquote, stake in the game, uh, which we'll get into more in our Liberia episode, which is now a free country. Uh, but um, the uh, United States wasn't a big player in this. Mostly it was you know, places like Portugal, France, and, and Belgium. Ugh, Belgium. So, uh, just wrap, wrapping up on this. Anyway, get back into Angolan history. Yep. The oh yeah, never. The Berlin Conference compelled Portugal to move towards the immediate occupation of all of its territories that it had uh, laid claim to, but had been unable to completely conquer. So they're looking at their their colonies and they're like, how do we turn these into countries or uh, what word am I thinking of? Like Commonwealth style kind of yeah, like Commonwealth are like uh, yeah, protectorate states. Yeah, or like they want political control, not just a huge trade presence. Or, you know, so they're, yeah. ma- they're making governments, and Portugal moves fully into getting uh, Angola and Cabinda, that little mm-hmm. ex, ex, exclave, exclave. Cabinda. Um, and they don't get their grubby mitts on the Congo, which is why that is an exclave, even though they wanted it. Next, um, so having like a full colonizer structure here, too, like we get Portuguese cities, um, we get a little bit more development infrastructure. There's, so the language is really becoming Yeah, the language is like, here. yeah. So now the government documents are all in Portuguese. Educated people are like white colonizers, European colonizers move in um, and start building up their own cities while there is huge racial divides, obviously. Yeah. Uh, so... Because like the Berlin Conference, they drew the borders with no account for like 
tribal divisions and where real people yeah. lived and like linguistic barriers. And I say like it was like 100% a color divide because they don't care about tribes. They care about maybe like the tribes that were working with them, um, the, the tribes that were willing to subjugate other tribes. But in the end, it was like the Europeans are on top here. So uh, they had big reforms and everything. So it's hard for her to say like they they were colonized they colonized for 400 years then they kind of created a country based on their own european rules without any input from the people that they had intended to govern 400 years of rule yeah jesus christ and also uh black people in general weren't allowed to have any like political actions they weren't allowed to join parties they just had to like sit and passively take it and i'm not saying they did i'm saying that was the expectation um and then we finally get up until like modern history which is like the the big meat of angolan history is that there was a civil war recently we'll get into that um but in 1960s uh people had had enough with colonization and things saying the native angolan people specifically were like hey fuck it (laughs) um then they they start they built the mpla which is the popular movement for the liberation of angola I'm pretty sure those uh, acronym words are messed around because it's in Portuguese. So MPLA, yeah, yeah. so not... Anyway, that was just a, an aside. And it was founded in 1956. And then the FNLA, the National Front for the Liberation of Angola, appeared in 1961. And the UNITA, or the UNITA, the National Union for the Total Independence of Angola, was founded in 1966. So for 10 years, all these these groups are gaining a lot of momentum and a lot of movement to overthrow... Portuguese rule and Portuguese Portuguese colonization. Uh, so they start building conflict. There's shit happening, and then Angola becomes a country of its own on November 11th, 1975. Um, and there was a 1974 coup d'état in Lisbon, Portugal. Yeah. So so wait a second. So yeah. Portugal faces a coup. Yeah, Portugal faces a coup. And, and I think Angola while they're in... jumps like, yeah. the opportunity to they're get like, Yeah, they're thinking like, oh, what the fuck? And then they're like, these three groups... That's awesome. ...mobilized, and they're like, ha kick him while he's down. <laughs> 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 so anyway, Portugal's new leaders uh, begin the process of democratic change in Angola, and um, Portugal, it's like, yeah, you guys can be free, I guess. I mean, even, even that, even 75, that's really late for... An African country to gain um, independence. Yeah. My like, mom was 15. Like, the Gold Coast became Ghana in the 60s, I think. Or late 50s, even. And then uh, Kenya gained independence with like, the Mau Mau Revolution, like, 60s, I think, from Britain. I mean, so the 60s and 50s was, like, beginnings of independence. 75 is late. Yeah. That's, that's crush- soul-crushingly late. And it's like, how... I guess can't throw stones at glass houses but i totally am but how shitty would it be to be so disabled by your own government that like you can see your neighbors becoming free and like they're oppressing you so bad that you just can't do it and but it takes that coup d'etat in lisbon for like you to get some momentum and get some power i know i guess i guess it's hard to imagine living in a country like that where you've got nothing no rights when you're like so i assume i assume like for sure they so, like, real ethnic Angolans, native Angolans, they are the majority of the population. And so they mm-hmm. had the means to, to rise up. When you're facing an oppressor who probably has, like, I don't know, international yeah, backing and authority and stuff. Military and style. It's just, 
oppression and police. Like, India faced the same thing. So many people, they needed that effective political organization, though, and, like, Mm -hmm. legitimacy to, like, not only rebel, but after, like, gaining power. It's just, it's complicated. It's It's not easy. It's a large country, and a lot of people are speaking different languages. That's true. true. A lot of different ethnic groups. And, like, you also think, like, when shit's hard, like, you stick with the people you know. Um, I'm imagining that was probably really hard to mobilize. But they fucking did it. And they raised the fuck you to Lisbon in Portugal. The official fuck you. Um, but then a civil war happens. Um, and we are kind of hoping maybe for a country that didn't have a civil war. But it's not, it's not looking like it's in the cards this week. Because this is a particularly brutal one. I don't say particularly, but it was pretty bad. Anyway, in 1974, um, the coup d'etat in Portugal established a military government led by President Antonio de Spinola. The Spinola government agreed to give all of Portuguese colonies independence, then handed over power in Angola to a coalition of the three largest national movements. Those are the acronyms, the MPLA, UNITA, and the FNLA, the Alvor Agreement. However, this coalition quickly broke down. The country descended into civil war. So the MPLA, which is now like a party, uh, gains control of Luanda and most of the country. Um, with the support of the United States, Zaire, and South Africa, uh, they intervened in favor of the FNLA and UNITA. I'm going to call it UNITA because... UNITA? Yeah, UNITA. Yeah, yeah. Well, might as well. So they had intended to take Luanda away from the MPLA before the Declaration of Independence. But then the, the Cuba, Cuba intervened. Um, in favor of the MPLA. Total Castro move. Yeah, it's a, a T, another TCM. Another TCM. Um, in the meantime, South Africans and UNITA had come as close as 200 kilometers to the, cap- the south of the capital, while the FNLA and Zaharian forces, as far as Kifagongo, uh, about 30 kilometers to the east. So they are coming in pretty quickly, and That's then right, there's yeah. a big stop. And there was Cuban support also. And the Cubans were involved because the... MPLA, sorry, I get confused because it's like we're getting MPA degrees. Yes. And I think like MLA, like the formatting or like citation method. Yeah. And something like MPLA. Masters of Public. I don't know what the LA is in MLA. And it doesn't super matter anyway. Lame affairs. (laughs) But anyway, so the Cubans were involved in the MPLA because the MPLA had a super strong communist or or socialist ties. They, they really wanted to have a good red government um, and gain a lot of control that way. That's why the Cubans were involved in the USSR, and that's why you can imagine the U.S. got involved on the opposing side to that because they were like, oh, this is 1977. We're not quite past the Cold War I mean, that's a little, That war's a little too warm. Let's cold it down a little bit. Oh, oh, oh. Anyway, so the... Now, with the Cuban support, the MPLA held the Wanda and declared independence on November 11, 1975, the same day the Portuguese left the country because of that coup. Yep. Um, and then Agostino Neto became the first president of Angola. And then the FNLA and the UNITA proclaimed their short-lived republics. So they're like, oh, we're going to have our own countries called the Democratic Republic of Angola and the Social Democratic Republic of Angola. On uh, November 24th. They both started their own country? Yeah, they're like, no, yeah, shit. we need our own. That's complicated. Um, and, I mean, you'd think, like, after, like, 400 years of oppression, they're like, yeah, we just want to have our own governments. Like, we want to live the lives that we want to live. Don't blame them, but it doesn't end up well. Um, and then the 
zones that they controlled were led by Presidents Holden Roberto and uh, Jonas Savimbi. As, as co-presidents, actually. So they were both from... Anyway, by the end of January 1976, so like two months later, the MPLA army, with the Cuban support, had basically denied them. Like, in the 2008 usage of the word, denied. You were too young, Brad, but I remember. I was too young. No, I was not too young. I was in high school in 2008. Anyway. In denied. <laughs> you denied me denying you. It's so meta. Uh, anyway. Uh, on May 27, 1977, a coup attempt with some former members of the MPLA government, such as Alves, uh, led to retaliation by the government and Cuban forces, resulting in the execution of thousands, if not tens of thousands. Jesus Christ. Alves himself was tortured and killed, and this movement was known as the Fraccionismo, which I think means the fractionization in Portuguese. Yes. Executions by the tens of thousands will fraction. Yeah, you'd think. So this uh, proxy war continues. The MPLA government is now recognized internationally, although not by the United States. Um, they've requested that the Cuban forces remain in the country because they want that extra support. Yep. Uh, led by Jonas Savimbi, UNITA receives clandestines report by the United States because oppositional party. Um, and other nations took up military resistance south east of the country, while the MPLA government was supported by the USSR and Eastern Bloc countries. South Africa continues to pursue the Southwest Africa People's Organization, called the SWAPO, uh, forces in southern Angola. Uh, they soon established bases and increased their support of UNITA, which gains more control, more territory. But in a final effort to deliver the blow to UNITA, that was a hard way to say that sentence, yeah. and to drive out South Africa, the FAPLA, the People's Armed Forces for the Liberation of Angola, with Soviet support, launches a campaign um, that has tons of failures, tons of feats. Cubans get back in there. They stop UNITA. They stop South African advances. Big Battle of Quito, Cuanavale, from January 13th to 23rd, 1987. Largest battle in African history since World War One. Wow, So really? they, they put the kibosh on those, those movements from UNITA. And that's even bigger than, like, because it wasn't, like, Egypt had a war and stuff with Nasser in the 80s. Yeah. There's like a ton of that's bad pretty, things happening. That's a pretty big war. All over Africa, you think. Uh, and this is the biggest thing to happen. Damn. Never even heard about it before. It's mm -mm. crazy how history gets. So if you want to look at more information about this battle too, it's called the Battle of Quitos, C-U-I-T-O, Cuanavale, C-U-A-N-A-V-A-L-E. Um, and that happened in 1987. Yep. So pretty recent history, too. Um, I was negative, negative three years, negative four years old. Close enough. I don't know how. I can't. Okay. Math is hard. You don't, you don't need to have a negative age. It doesn't matter if math is hard. I'm saying my brother was negative two years old, so I was actually negative five years old. Okay. Well, there and you go. And that's what matters. Anyway, the MPLA in the U.S. had been in negotiations um, for a peaceful solution since 1987. Um, the U.S. agreed to include Cuba in direct talks. Cuba joins the negotiations in uh, January 28th, 1988. Then South Africa joins March 9th. So this is a growing um, conversation. And then Angola, Cuba, and South Africa signed the Tripartite Accord on G December 22nd, 1988. 
um, which includes the withdrawal of Cuban troops in Angola and the retreat of South African soldiers from Angola and Namibia. So people are kind of piecing the, piecing the F out, um, except for the Angolans who are staying there, going to figure out their stuff. In 1991, the Bistess Accord spells out the electoral process for a democratic Angola under the supervision of the UN. And the MPLA, MPLA wins the first rounds with 49% of the votes against 40% for UNITA. And then our, our boy Jonas... Jonas? I don't like hear that. I don't know enough about Jonas to call him our boy, but it's a reflexive thing. So, um, ten listeners, maybe hundreds of listeners in the future. Please, <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> um, he rejects the results, obviously, and he re- he returns to war. So, bummer. Um, on November or October thirtieth to November first, nineteen ninety-two, when I was negative fourteen days old, because I was almost born then. Uh, the Halloween massacre <laughs> occurred um, in which thousands of UNITA and FNLA supporters in Luanda were killed by MPLA troops. So um, during this, the, their first democratic election, uh, when the votes were challenged, the MPLA strikes down and kills thousands of people. The estimates so your, your for this massacre... Your birthday's like November Yeah, I, I guess like, I, saw, I saw my the dates before I saw what happened. Before it was a massacre... So I don't want to associate my birthday with that, um, and that death toll for this these two days um, was between twenty five thousand and thirty thousand, so a huge amount. Uh, and then a second peace accord uh, called the Lusaka Protocol um, was brokered in Lusaka, uh, Zambia. So they went out of country for this one. Yeah. Was signed on November twentieth, nineteen ninety four. So two years later, for a second peace accord to occur. Um, after this this great tragedy, I was four months old at that point. I was positive old. Ooh. Yeah, I guess. Um, and also, you get the peace agreement, and I got the massacres. Anyway, you're welcome. So the peace accord between the government and UNITA provides the integration of the former UNITA insurgents into the government and armed forces. So they get some government or some political yeah. representation now. In 1995, local fighting resumed. The National Unity Government was installed in April 1997, uh, and serious fighting resumed late in 1998 when Savimbi renewed the war for a second time. So he's definitely Jonas, not no. my boy. My boy, Jonas needs to, like, just fuck the fuck off. Like, I know that you're fighting for what you think is right, but you're being a huge dick, and a lot of people are dying. So he starts that in a second he's time. 20 years of war at this yeah. point. And, like, 20 years of war... 400 years of colonization, plus tons of history that could have been totally fine without any of this. Anyway, um, so so Jonas says that the MPLA was not fulfilling its obligations. And then in 1997, the UN Security Council imposes sanctions on UNITA. The Angolan military launched a massive offense in 1999 that destroyed UNITA's conventional capacity recaptured all military cities previously held by Sambimbi's forces. Sambimbi then declares that UNITO will return to guerrilla tactics and much of the country remained in turmoil. But Jesus here's, Christ. um, so, yeah, I, I regret ever saying that he was our boy. My boy specifically. No, wait, I said our boy. But he was never, he was never our boy. He was nobody's boy. Um, so this extended civil war rendered hundreds of thousands of people homeless, 
Up to one million lives have been lost in fighting over the past quarter of a century, and Savimbi was killed in 2002. Go fucking finally, right? <laughs> Go fucking finally. Uh, here's the other thing I learned in, in my research, not on the one I'm looking at now. So 2002 was when it ended? 2002 was when he died. I wouldn't say it necessarily ended there. Um, and, and we're going to catch up with the past 20 or so years. Probably not a little round down. 15 years? 16 years? I am, like, waiting on the edge of my seat for Angola to reach stability. Yeah. Um, but here's, like, the thing, too, is that, like, this killed so many men. Like, men, young men, um, old men. You know, all the men. Uh, so that, like, now you've got basically a country of mostly women... Uh, and and babies, so I mean it's still reeling from those effects because like it's it's a huge fucking bummer. Anyway, so after after that death in two thousand two, let's catch up. Um, so Savimbi was killed by government troops in the Mojico province. Um, and and before all this happened. A Russian freighter delivered 500 tons of Ukrainian 7.62 millimeter ammunition. So there, and then MPLA starts to attack Unita after this is delivered. This is on September 21st, 2000. So two years before he's killed, and so probably not so so good there helps. Um, more so war basically for two years until he's yeah. killed by those troops. So I'll just I was just getting us back up to there. After Savimbi's death, the government comes to a crossroads on how they want to proceed. After initially indicating the counterinsurgency might continue, the government announced that it would halt all military operations on March 13th. Then the military commanders for UNITA and MPLA met in Kasamba, another city, and agreed to a ceasefire. However... Oh, I hate the word however after the word <laughs> ceasefire. Keep right? God damn it. I know, it's never a good word combination. God damn it. Carlos Margado, UNITA's spokesman in Portugal, says that UNITA's Portugal wing had been under the impression that General Camortiero the United General who had agreed to a ceasefire, had been captured more than a week earlier. He'd done enough, Portugal. Fuck off. Morgado did say that he hadn't heard from Angola since Savimbi's death, and the military commander signed a memorandum uh, of understanding as an addendum to the Lusaka Protocol in Luena on April 4th, with Dos Santos and Lucambo observing that. So a little bit of suspicion there, I guess. So the UN Security Council passes Resolution uh, 1404 on April 18th, which extends the monitoring mechanism of sanctions by six months. Um, and then just a bunch more resolutions. Yeah, more resolutions tons. that pose uh, UN travel bans on UNITA officials because UNITA is the the problem here. What the U.S. backed political party is the problem? Shkiki no. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I'm a good American. Anyway, the say is listening. And they abolished the ban through resolution 1439 on October 18th. So they couldn't keep them banned for long. In August 2002, UNITA declares itself a political party and officially demobilized its armed forces. So they kind of grow up a bit in terms of country making. Um, that same month, the UN Security Council replaces the United Nations office in Angola with the United Nations mission in Angola, a larger non-military political presence. Um, so they kind of want to keep more fingers in that pie, it sounds like. The Civil War etern internally displaced 4 million people, uh, about a third of the population, 
and the government spent 187 million uh, settling these displaced people between April 4th, 2002 and 2004. The World Bank gave 33 million to help continue to settle people, uh, but also the militant forces set about 15 million landmines in 2002, so people are still dealing with that. Yeah, it's not a problem that goes away. Nope. We saw that in Laos. We did. We saw um, that in Afghanistan. Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. And we it's still like a thing. You'll still hear we, people. We just mentioned landmines in Lebanon. Did you hear like it was like something like the latest casualty of World War Two? I think it came out in like 2015. Is when someone stepped near a, a World War Two landmine and was killed. They just um, so when I studied abroad in Germany. They had to shut down the train station because they found a, a unexploded warhead under one of the tracks. Yes, I remember that in the news. It's like 250 pounds or something. Yeah. So landmines. I mean, I'm not. I'm not the. I'm not the president of wars. I'm not. You lost the election. <laughs> you campaigned so yeah. hard for that. I'm not the. Cha- I should say I'm not the genius of. I don't know. I don't know who's in charge of wars, but if we could cool it with landmines, because you don't know how long you're going to be at war. And those are such a long-lasting effect that eventually be your own people. I guess... Something about remnant explosives could be in the Geneva Protocols. I just don't know. It probably should be if it isn't. Um, But anyway, so 15 million landmines. And then the Halo Trust charity begins um, demining them in 1994. They destroyed 30,000 by July 2007. But um, they destroyed 30,000 of 15 million. So... uh, Anyway, and there are about 1,100 Angolans and several, seven foreign workers who are working for this Halo Trust who expect to be done demining by 2014. Um, so I guess we can do some research later to see how that turned out. Yeah. The Human Rights Watch estimates UNITA and the government employed more than 86,000 and 3,000 child soldiers. Um, some forcibly like captured and trained and brainwashed. During the war, it's not a happy paragraph. No, this is this is this is the most. This has been a pretty hard country to study, frankly. Human rights analysts found that between uh, five thousand eight thousand underage girls were married to UNITA militants. Some girls were ordered to go and forage for food to provide for the troops. If they did not bring back enough food, the girls would not eat. After these, after their victories, the UNITA commanders would be rewarded with women who are often sexually abused. So you know, some like rape. Just institutionalized sanction rape. Uh, and then the government and UN agencies identified 190 child soldiers in the Angolan army and relocated 70 of them by November 2002, but the government continued to knowingly employ other underage soldiers. Uh, yeah, so that's kind of where the the history I had drops, drops off. Let's see where they are now. Um, knowing that this is a huge... Yeah, yeah, with the with the Civil War lasting a quarter of a century, that's gonna. I mean, that literally takes up almost all of all the of the country history. that Angola has been a country has been in civil war. Um. um so uh, here we go. Um. Hmm. There was a drought in 2006 that caused the worst food crisis in Southern Africa. No, Kiki, where's the good news? Years? No, stop. Sorry, I was hoping that I could bring it back. Um, oh man. And the drought. affected 1.4 million people across um, all of Angola's 18 18 provinces. Food prices rose, malnutrition rates doubled, uh, with more than 95,000 children affected, uh, and then food insecurity is 
expected worsened and expected to worsen from July to December 2016. So it looks like the war itself is is over, but there's still rampant political corruption. The people are continually fucked over by the government and by nature and by the military. Well, they never got a, it. Seems like they never got a chance. I mean, I mean, it's been it's been a little bit of a time since 2002, so the early 2000s. But even with the big famine and stuff, and since but a very like, late decolonization period, it seems like they never got the chance to get their feet set and really address the problems of organizing their new nation and their new peoples. Yeah. Um, without conflict. In my other research, I've also learned that like 70 percent of Angola's population is under 24 years old. That's the majority of a country. That demographic graph is so wide and narrow taper off. Can you imagine? Like that's like we live on a university campus, where the majority of the students are undergrads. And it's hell. And it's fucking horrible. <laughs> the worst people. They, um, I mean, I mean, circumstances are different, and people are forced to mature. But goddamn, highest infant mortality rates, probably because all the baby doctors are babies. Uh, maternal mortality rates because I mean it's like this is what happens when you lose a whole generation of men um, when your country's at war for so long that you have no not enough stability to become so self-sufficient and now at this point with the corruption like with the oil money and the diamond money the capital is in like wealth disparity becoming so dramatically different it's a good point yeah that like that there are resources to help improve situations, especially for women and children in the country, but those resources are not being allocated fairly. And it's it's sad. And I'm not trying to say this as like a, a white condescension person thing. Um, and that's the hard thing about this podcast is like learning some of this perspective and like learning what happens to people over time. I just, I don't know. What's, I wish I could. I wish I knew what I could do to help. Well, it, it's sad for me because there's no part of the historical narrative we got to talk about where Angolans were in charge and they had autonomy over. I mean, at least in, in, in large international scope, they had autonomy over their surroundings and their resources to make their way. That sucks. White people. And on that note, we're going to take a break. And we're trying for a cultural discussion and, and get a little bit more into how we feel. Yeah. And we'll we'll get on a high note when we talk about like how cool Cabinda is. So we'll get into yeah. that. We, yeah, we can, All right. we can find a way to turn this around. <laughs> we're going to try it. We'll see you then. You know what? This is geeky. It's my favorite segment, and I'm taking control. I'm taking charge of this podcast. I'm taking it with both hands. And I'm going to tell you that the National Flag of Angola, when you look at it, it is red, black, with gold. So the top, so the red and black are both like half the flag. Like the top half 
is red, the bottom half is black. In the middle, it's the emblem. Uh, it looks pretty similar to the USSR flag, but it's not. It is half, it's, it's all in yellow. There's a star on the red top, a red on the top, red half, golden star in the middle, um, and then half a, a, a gear, and then a machete crowned with that star. So I'm trying to like paint a picture for so, so it looks like a hammer and sickle, but yeah. the hammer is a machete. And the sickle is this half gear with a star yeah. inside the crescent of the gear. It's pretty cool. It's fucking badass, Tiki. This is an awesome flag. Like, this Middle is a... school me would have put this flag on his wall. Because like, like, I always thought like when I was looking at it from far away, I'm like, yeah, just him, sickle. Um, but it's not. Like, it's something that is like purely Angolan. You say damn sickle. They did the sickle. Uh, <laughs> so this, this flag is based on the flag that the MPLA um, yep. used uh, but they featured um, that they used a star in place of the central em emblem. So okay. this is something that incorporates some other ideals, ideal ideally. Yeah. Um, and uh, so the red half signifies the bloodshed of Angola's independent struggle. I think red's always meant bloodshed. Yeah, I all think, the flags yeah, we've talked in about. In general, we can say that red means blood. Uh, and then the black half symbolizes Africa. Uh, in the central album, the gear represents the industrial workers. The machete represents the peasantry. And the star symbolizes socialism. Uh, and the, uh, it was adopted on August 25th, 1992. That's how it's been used cool. since then. It's a striking flag. It's, it's a powerful-looking yeah. flag. Like Now that I know more about it and its history, like it does... It's cooler to me. Because at first I'm like, this flag looks scary. Um, because we're talking at the beginning of the podcast. Like, I don't... Red and black doesn't appeal to me as a color combination so much. It's scary colors. But by nature, they're aggressive colors. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah. Like, we're expected not. Like, but knowing that, like, what it symbolizes and, like, what the emblem is and, like, what to look for in the album. Yeah, it's cool. Too bad there's no endearing, like, parliament old man sketch. Like, no Lebanon. Yeah, no, dude. Flag. I wish, like, I could look up, like... <laughs> preliminary sketches of every flag just so we can see it working flags nothing will be that lebanon's first initial flag to me because i can relate to it yeah but anyway <laughs> um so getting back into our cultural discussion yep. we kind of finished with some of that uh now we're back into it <sighs> it's a lot it was a lot of episodes although in in her research she did find one interesting cultural point yes about lgbt rights in angola so not a bummer. Yeah, this is a not bummer thing. So there are some pretty conservative attitudes towards um, GLBTA people, the gays in Angola. Um, but despite... All of Africa, to be honest. And all of Africa. Uh, and like we see it on the news all the time. There's tons of discrimination. Gay people are fighting for their rights. They're still being killed. They're being imprisoned yes. um, for simply loving who they want to love. Um, but despite this, Angola is listed as one of the country's least homophobic countries. Um, in 2017, in a poll, 61% of Angolans agreed that gay, lesbian, and bisexual people should enjoy the same rights as straight people. Um, and then 65% said that they should be protected from workplace discrimination. There's actually, um, an amendment passed in 2017? Yeah. That we saw? That, um should legally end workplace discrimination against GLBTA people in Angola. And we found that a the one of the top celebrities 
of Angola. Her name is Tidikaka. No, Tidika. Tatika. Yeah. Her name is Tatika. No, it's her name is Tatika. Well, it seems like her, like her stage artist name is like Tatika. Tatika, yeah. but her real name is something else. Yeah. Her, her her born name is Teka Miguel Garcia, but she is a trans woman performer, and she's a goodwill ambassador for UN AIDS. Um, and what else? Like we learned some cool things about her. She's going to be featured a little bit later during our musical break, right? Let me. Well, we're going to. Yeah, gonna it, it was featured. It in our was featured during musical break yeah. because editing is cool. Um, so yeah, look her up. She's so cool, and she was the, uh, named the best Kuduro artist of 2011. Kuduro is a local form of rap techno music. Um, Tatika, here she is online we're looking at her and yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I mean, so that's like that's kind of like a, a cool thing or like when young people are in charge of the country maybe good things do happen uh for some people i think it's good i think it's awesome um what are some other things about angola that are cool brad um so i think it's fascinating um and we mentioned this in the snapshot and i think we mentioned it in the history as well because of the berlin conference there was a little bit of changing of geography but um the territory of Angola includes an exclave province, and that yeah. exclave is called Cabinda. And this is when a country has part of its territory outside of its main borders, and and when that country is like, it's got a little bit of territory like landlocked by another country or just separate. So think of like America has Alaska separate from its contiguous United States. Oh yeah, that is an exclave, isn't it? Um, I guess so. I can't really define it. Like I wouldn't. If someone said define exclave, it wouldn't be like. You think it has to be like smaller? Maybe landlocked? Maybe it has to be, um... Well, no, because Kalinda is on the coast. That's true. Kalinda is, is, is coastal. Let me look up if if um, Alaska is an exclave, and then I'll, okay. I'll well, get back to you. I'll talk about Kalinda a little bit. Um, they have their own flag um, as a province. It's a very, very colorful flag in contrast to the um, the national flag of Angola. Um, it has a, a, uh, an area of almost um, 2,812 square miles. So... In itself, Cabinda is almost um, one-fifth of a Lebanon. Um, and so it's it's separated from the country by a strip of the, the DRC. That's the country that intersects um, from them actually touching. Um, the population in Cabinda is 600,000. Um, although, it's interesting because 400,000 of those people, like, they live in the neighboring countries and they, like, commute in. So it's a very, very, like, unreliable kind of political area. Um, a lot of tropical forests there. Pinta has a lot of natural resources like oil. In fact, it's called the Kuwait of Africa as a name. Just like Beirut, Beirut yeah, the, was like the Paris of the Middle East. Yeah, um, I think that's my area of like the, the blank of blank when it comes to like relations. In, and yeah. I've been thinking about this all day. I can't tell if like calling something the blank of blank when like the moniker you think is like reference to a, a, like a western country is like a demeaning kind of yeah like, i kind of you're think the paris too. of the middle east because you don't have a paris because well, you're not the, like there was a time where, where luanda was called like the the paris of south africa is that um, kind of sinning or not i, I think because it's like it indicates that the country is like has like culture class and wealth but i think it's basically condescending because these are countries within their own um, and especially when we look at like a colonizer past it's like that's eh. true that's true because of the history yeah, if it you're is, comparing yeah. it to a European country because the city was modeled after European architecture or is built by Europeans. I think that's kind of like a, well, why, why don't we look at these countries? Cause there's some like 
beautiful, beautiful places. Yeah. And it assumes that like, have beautiful country or like, cultures on their own. And it's like you'll never be as good as Paris, but you're the closest thing they're gonna get. Yeah. So like, maybe it is a little messed up. Yeah, we should start challenging that more. I mean, the nickname here, Kuwait of Africa, is because of the oil. It's like it's a direct correlation yeah. of like we when we think of oil, we think of like Kuwait, those kind of resources. I don't know. It's an oil hub, whereas like people think of Paris, if Paris is a now, cultural, uh, uh, yeah. the, the international culture hub. Yes. Um, so to say that, like, this is, I guess, I guess, like, when you look at it that way, like a culture hub. We'll talk about this more. This is interesting. Um, we, can, it, we can find more perspectives. My, my reflex is that it's condescending because it implies European superiority. Well, let's take, for example, I'm from Alabama. If someone, actually, people, this is an actual, like, correlation. So New Orleans is the big easy. People call where I'm from Mobile the little easy, haha. Because, like, we're not New Orleans, but we're still on the coast, and we're, like, yeah, a not, cheaper uh, place to go vacation is, like, for, like, Cajun culture kind of stuff. I, I find that insulting. Oh, I wouldn't think that was insulting from no. a Western lady's perspective. It seems kind of cute. Okay, but it's like, like I we're not good enough. Oh, yeah, I guess, like, why can't we be, like... That's a microcosm. It's not as important as, like, no, it's, the yeah, meaning. Yeah. Someone is, like, you're the Paris because you're not... Yeah. I guess, I guess that makes sense. We're, like, we have interesting things on our own. We don't need to be compared to the Big exactly. Easy. We don't want to be... Because, okay, interesting thing that is related... Big Easy is on my names in high school. Keep, keep, anyway, <laughs> no, going. I was going to make that joke, and that's why I started laughing, but Got you him. beat me to it. So, um, <laughs> this is... This is only related because we're on this this conversation no, track. please. But I've wanted my own cat forever. I'm living with my, my dog, Gertrude, and my roommate's cat, Mr. Bingley. And, if, but forever, and they get along famously. They do. But forever, I've wanted my own cat, and I've wanted my cat to be named Pertrude. So my dog would be named Gertrude, and my cat would be named Pertrude. That's cute. I think it's cute as F. My sister says it's wrong to name a cat in relation to what the dog's already named. She I'm, thinks it'd be a dick move. And I'm like, I don't think the cat fucking cares. And my, she's like, yeah, but your cat should be valued on its own. My old fat cat back home, I got him in third grade. And I called him Prince because I thought it was a really cool name for a cat. So his name's Prince. <laughs> and when you scratch him, he squinches his eyes really, really tight together. So I call him Wincy because he winces. <laughs> um, so any name is good a- for Angola. a cat. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, listeners, tell us what you think. Do you think it's wrong to call cities or countries things that are in relation to things do you think it depends on the context or what's going on in other ways i mean relate to our examples we've given them to you so that you comment yeah let me finish my profile of cabinda and yeah, then i'll throw it back to you for some cultural stuff um so they i mean in addition to oil which is their most um, lucrative export they also produce hardwoods um coffee cocoa crude rubber oil palm oil actually um some of the most valuable you know, natural resources um, in the world today. Lucrative exports. Um, you know, during the Civil War, Kabinden independence movements um, had had their own kind of infightings, kind of stuff like that. They had their own government at one point. Um, so they have, it's very interesting, like the, a microcosm of Angola in itself because they're part of Angola, but also um, independence movements there. Um, Kiki, what's your next point you want to bring up? Um, I was going to say that the geography and landscape in Angola is beautiful. It is a striking country. It is, yes. It's um, when we're looking at the pictures of it, I know that they're like, you know, tourism pictures or something, but like it's, it's just something that's so visually satisfying to listen to. 
Um, other things is that they're actually the oil supplier for China. That's how much oil they have. Holy shit. Um, also, big exporter of diamonds. I saw the movie Blood Diamond. I'm not sure if that, I don't think that took place with DiCaprio? in DiCaprio? Yeah, with I think, DiCaprio. I think it happened in Zaire or Zambia. Yeah. It was a Z country. Um, um, but the, the, the through currents of Blood Diamonds pervade through any diamond producing country. I mean, the same pressures are there. Right. Uh, I hate that. <laughs> yep. Um, anyway, that was just uh, <laughs> just the same as the Paris of Africa thing. Yeah. Um, highest mortality rate in the world. Uh, twice the size of Texas. Uh, and the local currency. I think bring up the Kwanzaa too. I wonder if Kwanzaa is named after, like Kwanzaa the holiday. That's something um, I didn't learn at the yeah, beginning. Yeah. You look that up. I have a little anecdote here about. Um, Religion in Angola, we didn't really talk about religion very much, um, but... Oh, yeah, please. More than half the population are Catholic. I was going to assume probably mostly Catholic because... That's of the remnant of, of Portuguese colonization. Um, in fact, um, they call themselves Congregationalists. Um, and though many of the Catholics are in the, um, the Central Highlands and the coastal regions of the West, the, um, the Ovimbundu people, one of those ethnic groups, um, those are highly correlated, correlative with the Catholic religion. Of course, they also have Methodists, they have Baptists, they have Adventists, um, Lutherans. So, but Christianity is very prominent. Um, Islam, or the Muslim population, only accounts for less than 1%, according to U.S. State Department um, uh, statistics. Um, but yeah, because of the influence of both colonization and lots of missionary action um, prior to independence, it's a Christian-majority country. Um, that's important to talk about the Christian, the, uh, the religious makeup of, of, of these nations. Um, Kiki, have you looked up Kwanzaa at all? So I looked up Kwanzaa, and so here's an interesting thing. Maybe you can help us puzzle it together, listeners. Okay. So Kwanzaa, the holiday, um, is derived from the Swahili phrase Matunda ya Kwanzaa, which means first fruits of the harvest, um, or just first fruits. However, the Kwanzaa River has no etymology on it other than that the Angolan currency is named after the river and that the river has multiple different spellings um, because we know that when you translate stuff into English from other languages it, no one, it doesn't work all the time. Then I looked up that as an etymology thing and I couldn't find it. It looks like the Kwanzaa River also flows north to south just like the Nile. Really? Yeah. Oh, probably because mountains, right? Yeah. Which is against the norm. Most rivers flow north to south. Yeah. Wow. Wow. River facts. Click um, yes this has been the, the River Podcast. Um, I guess that wraps it up for me. Um, uh, I have one last thing about cool. sports. And then oh, wait. I was going to bring it. So the um, 2011 uh, Miss Universe winner. I just wanted to bring her up. Her name is... Bear with me. Uh, I brought it up. Oop, oop. You told me earlier. Oop, oop, I messed up. I messed up. Uh, we'll edit this out later. Oh. Maybe, maybe. It's okay. She pulled up her uh, her Miss America notes. Don't worry. I mean, I fucking love pageants. Just kidding. I don't love pageants. Oh no. Um. Here she is. Uh, but her name is Layla Lopez, uh, and she is a Angolan uh, beauty queen pageant winner when Miss Universe 2011. Just married a New York, a former New York giant. Ooh, I don't know. Sports. How tall is he? If he's a giant. Um, I guess he was pretty tall because he played football. 
But I know what you're saying. I know that you're making that joke, so. Good recognition, Loki. Um, but honestly, like, I don't know. I do like looking at beautiful people, despite reminding me of my own physical shortcomings. So if you're looking, if you want to see a beautiful woman from Angola, Layla Lopez. Um, my last cultural um, discussion point is just on sports. Angola has um, a popular national sport, and it's basketball, actually. So it's a little different than the rest hey, of the people. African nations. Yeah, they've won the Afro Basket, the national, uh, the intercontinental African basketball tournament. They've won that 11 times. They hold the most records of the Afro Basket tournament. Um, the regular competitor at the Summer Olympic Games. Um, they've hosted the African Cup of Nations. That's for soccer. Um, Thank you for they've, they've qualified. Oh, well, yeah. The Cup of Nations isn't specifically soccer oh, okay. branded. Um, uh, the national team qualified for the 2006 FIFA World Cup. Um, so, yeah, they've participated in the international stage for, for, uh, for sports. We haven't talked about the Olympics in a while, but, yeah, they've, um, they've featured, which is interesting and, uh, and good. A good thing. Yeah. All right. Let's, uh, let's, let's wrap this puppy up. Let's send it. But one more break, or right into current events. Let's take a little break. All right, little break, and then into what's new in the world with us. Welcome back to the world as we know it. What's happening in your world, Brad? You started with me, and I was not ready. Okay. Um, I could start with me. Yeah, please do. Okay. So, a few things. So, I'm still reading American Gods. You might remember I started that last week. I've got three chapters left. Um, it's very good. As promised, Brad told me to read it months ago. I had another friend tell me to read it. It's real good. Months and months ago. Um, so, I finally started it, and I'm like, oh, gosh darn. It's very good. I think Neil Gaiman is the master of the modern fairy tale. Like Stardust, I love that book. I read Coraline. Coraline? Yeah, yes. Coraline, that kind of fit when I was like our class book in fourth grade. Like my teacher read it to the class because she didn't really? know what it was about. No. And it was very dark. Oh, no. But I re- like it affected me, and I read it so many times after that because that one class reading, I'm like, were you a closet goth? Kiki? I need to understand this. I've never been a goth. I've been um okay. Just, a, just I've been a spooky person for a while. Okay, because like uh, people I knew who loved Coraline were like people who love Alice in Wonderland. Of yeah, of a very emo affectation. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could have been emo if my mom had given me money to buy my own clothes. That's funny. But uh, I, I did. Have... I did all of my clothes shopping with my mom, and most of it was done at Walmart. Real talk. We never got mall clothes. Yeah, I was never a mall person. Um, but yeah, American oh, Gods. Oh, also, here's why I was a fat kid, um, and I grew I grew boobs like really early, and my mom felt uncomfortable. She didn't know where to take me to shop because I had outgrown kids' clothes, so she just took me to shop where she shopped, Christopher and Banks. <laughs> <laughs> Kiki, you poor creature. Which is a mall store. No. For middle-aged women. No, Kiki, why? <laughs> Can you imagine me? I'm wearing like little sweater sets. <laughs> I'm wearing corduroy coveralls. Um, I love my mom. <laughs> she made a lot of other good choices. Maybe that was on the on the lower half of the list. Um, and a fun geography thing happened to me over the weekend too. Um, I'm a little embarrassed about it, but I think it's funnier than it is embarrassing. Okay. So in the past, I've gotten Sweden and Switzerland mixed up. 
I know that they're different places. I know different things. Like, I know they're not the same. It's just something in my head. SW. I mean, it's like a yeah. common. When difference. someone says they're Swedish or someone says they're Swiss, in my head, I just see shh. So, um, I had a date this weekend with a man who said he was Swiss. And I interpreted that personally as Swedish. He actually hit me. He had a Swiss, he had a Swiss flag on his profile. Ignored it. <laughs> turned it into a Swedish flag in my head. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So on this date, don't get it fucking confused with Switzerland. Um, you can talk about the summer you worked at Ikea. Um, yeah, you can talk about... Yeah, you talk about like the Scandinavian books you read over the summer. Talk about Frederick Backman, your new favorite author Wait, from but he's Sweden. Swiss. Um, I know this oh, now. Oh, shit. That's what you... Okay, never mind. Yeah. So in my head, this entire time, I was thinking I was going oh, out with a Swedish guy. Looked up. And I also expected to be very tall because um, of stereotypes. Anyway, so we go and we get drinks. And this whole fucking time, I'm like, yeah, I worked at Smallland and Ikea. I know everything about sweet, <laughs> Swedish culture. Yeah, how about crawfish festivals? Am I right? Um, I've got a history and geography podcast. I'm a geography history genius. And he's like, uh, yeah, cool. Um... So you mentioned that you study abroad in Germany. I'm like, yeah, sprichst du Deutsch? And he's like, he's like, yeah, natürlich. And I was like, wieso natürlich? He's like, uh, because I come from Switzerland. Nichtweiz. Oh, and I was fuck. like, ah, ah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, I just, I just really like Sweden a lot. So Kiki unhinged her jaw, took her foot from her mouth, <laughs> and proceeded to date <laughs> I this tried man. To back, I tried to back out of it, and then he was speaking to me in German, and I was like, because I was like, I was like, uh, yeah. Uh, He's not from Bern, is he? From Bern? Bern. He's from... not from Bern. Bern? I thought it was Bern. That was Bern. Anyway. Regional cultural differences in Germany. Um, Pronunciation. I was very embarrassed. I didn't even ask him where in Switzerland he was from. Um, but anyway, I don't think we'll be going out on another date. He did, he did buy my drinks, which was nice, and my food, um, because he got that Swiss money. Yeah. <laughs> and I was trying to turn around, like, yeah, I love fondue. I love raclette, which is like fondue backwards when you put the cheese on your food instead of your food into the cheese. You should have like asked him, like, ask me my stance on blank, and be like, I'm neutral. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just say, I love multi-purpose knives. <laughs> um, the red cloths, great flag. What was I? I had like one last joke I was going to make about it. <laughs> I love yodeling. Jodeling. I love my, 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 my cheese very aerated. Oh, uh, yes, indeed. I like holy cheese. <laughs> oh, but I was like, um, I was, I was just going to say like about like speaking German is that, um, I think I said something like, uh, ja, ich kann verstehen mehr als Connie Schrecken or something like that. Yeah. Except I said it very confidently because I was wondering again and my German gets so much better after one drink. Very true. And I like and I said it and he's like, Oh, so he started speaking to me more and more and I was just like, oh, fuck. How? <laughs> I was like, oh, table, bicycle, fish. <laughs> like I was I was just trying I was doing like the basic yeah. I was like I was like, Yeah, yeah. No right. Yeah, it's close. <laughs> I was just, just dropping those understanding words that I heard Germans yeah. always say to me when they're hearing me stumble through it. <laughs> so anyway, that was that international date that I went on. Um, 
<laughs> Sorry, Dominic, if you're listening to this. Maybe we can He's hang not. out again. Don't worry. Yeah, probably better that way. Um, that's a funny date story, Kiki. <laughs> so and now, now I think that embarrassment will always prevent me from confusing Switzerland and Sweden. You have a good, a good warning now. All right. What about? Oh, I, I already told about the book I read. So now it's back to you. Yep. Thomas Prayer, one book to talk about. Prayer. Okay. Um. Well, now that school's back in sesh too, I true, feel true. very overwhelmed with reading. Yeah, lots to read. Yep, so as Kiki said, we finished our first um, week back at school, and week two has started. That follows week one, obviously. Um, yeah, it's cool how weeks go. Yeah, um, so things are going well at school. Um, let's see, I finished the book. Yeah, Brad Sharp- and I have a class together, everybody. We do. Um, we finished the, um, I finished the book, Sharp Objects, and the show just wrapped up. And we, me and Kiki were talking yep. off air about... Um, we should have recorded it on air, but it's too late now. It's fine. We talked about like the narrative differences, um, uh, the, the route the show took as far as the book took. Um, very, very interesting. It, it, it was a good ride. I rec- highly recommend watching it and reading it. I think I've run out of Jillian Flynn books to watch now. Yeah. I've read her big three plus the short story, The Grown Up. So what else is there? If I was uh, Peggy Lee... I would sing that song. Is that all there is? Anyway, continue, right? <laughs> Didn't mean to interrupt. I've had a tall glass of Grieg. It's okay. Um, one of my favorite things is back in swing now that fall has, um, has started. What is that? And it is the uh, the BBC show University Challenge. <laughs> you know what that is? No. Okay. Oh, you know what? Okay, shit. Um... University Challenge is the premier trivia competition oh, in, in Britain. It's between universities and like well, well colleges in universities. So it'll be I like, think they call them unis there. Do they? Um, it'll be <laughs> like like St. Mary's College, Oxford versus like Hurton College, Cambridge or whatever. Oh. And there's like, you know, Exeter College. I mean, all, I mean, not Exeter, but like all kinds of like different universities. They have, they have teams of four and it's just like Really, really difficult, difficult trivia. There's music rounds. There's picture rounds. Um, it's hosted by a really British dude like Jeremy Packsmith, and it's just yeah, like they um, they have like a tournament style. Um, it's really it's all on YouTube. You can find the episodes and stuff. It's just like it's really fun to scratch that trivia itch because I was in like academic competitions and mm-hmm. stuff in high school. So like, and I love trivia. He knows this. So. Yeah, we both love trivia a uh, quite a bit. Actually. <clears throat> Uh, I'll shoot an episode after the podcast. You'll you'll enjoy it. Um, nice. Um, but yeah, I like watching that. I like I like going back to things that are you know very comforting and fun to watch after like a long day at school. Um, the thing is like, for me, learning is is fun. Yep. That sounds stupid to say it like that, but no, it is. Some people like, have and, an aversion to it. And like being grad students, we're learning about very specific things and learning a lot of technical skills that we'll need in our careers. Yes. So learning something for fun is like the greatest joy to me i can't even like tell anybody who doesn't know this feeling of like i don't know when i learned something about like the angolan flag why it means what it means that's so fun for me because i've trained my brain in something that i care about more that's so that's one of the reasons that i love movies and stuff like watching lots of movies like getting engaged Mm -hmm. in the film is like people say like I don't have time for movies. And then, like, there's a quote I love by Roger Ebert, and he's like, like, movies are like films or like machines that generate empathy. And I'm like, it's just like reading a book. Yeah. It's like watching a movie 
gives you insight into other human perspectives and emotions. And, and that it makes just you feel something that you wouldn't otherwise feel. Like, and that's how you gain it. Because, like, I'm not a war person. I'll likely never go to war. I hope but not. Watching, right? But, like, watching, like, someone else's, like, very real experience or something that's been imagined by someone who's been in that place puts me in a place where I can say, like, fuck, that's super shitty. And I would never have thought of that on my own. And that's why I love books, too, because it's like, I mean, reading American Gods, like, yeah, you can empathize with these gods who feel forgotten and unloved by the people who once believed in them, just barely clinging on to their existence, compared with, like, new sporty models of yeah, capitalism, um, yeah, capitalism and, and media. Technology and media. Anyway, read books, watch movies, learn things. Yep. Um, that's, that's what this podcast is. True, yeah, just learn. Just There's infinite amounts of things to seek out and learn about. Infinite many rabbit holes you can dive into, and most of them are infinitely rewarding, so. All right, that's about time to wrap up this podcast. I think so, too. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of The World As We Know It. Catch us next week for our country, St. Kitts and Nevis. Aren't you going to plug our different handles, Kiki? That's a good reminder of what we normally do. What I normally do. Please um, engage with us. Speak with us in person now that we are back in school and most of our listeners are people we know. You know us. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Tweet at us at At The World Podcast on Twitter. We always follow back. Please give us a review that helps us to get more listeners. um, And we'll read the review on the air and tell you how hot you are. Um, which, I mean, is the ultimate perk because I just want to be told I'm beautiful all the time. You should give us five stars for you. Yeah, but only if you give us five stars. Yeah. I'm not saying that we're biased. I'm just saying that, you no, know. No, It's not even correlation. It's pure causation. Five stars equals objective measures of beauty. I, yeah, I guess. I mean, anyway, you guys know the drill. Uh, hit us up on Apple Podcasts. Tell a friend. Um, tell me that you listen to it. Tell Brad that you listen to it. Tell a friend that you listen to it. Tell your moms, maybe not your grandparents because it's a little salty sometimes. Um, And uh, thanks for for coming in to learn with us today. And until then, ciao. Ciao.